Welcome to All Things Beer, a Pat's Pints Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. All right, here we are again for another episode with Tony Quarter from Columbus Brewing Company. And I think I don't really know any brewery in the regional area that does as many fresh hop beers as you guys. Hi, how are you guys, man? It's good to see you. What's ya? going on? Yeah, it's always a pleasure. To your point, Mark, I think I'm hard-pressed to find examples of another brewery, maybe leaning in as much as we do, at least in our region. Obviously, it's pretty commonplace the closer you get to you know the hop-growing regions in the United States and the Pacific Northwest. But certainly out here in Ohio, we're a little bit geographically challenged in that regard, but nothing's going to stop our love of hops. <laughs> Well, I think even if you go out to the Pacific Northwest, I'm looking at the list in front of me here. You've got 10 wet hop beers. Uh, I bet there's many, many breweries who are very close to the hop fields who don't do that number. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'd certainly see some that try to do their handful. And I mean, it's almost obligatory. So everyone needs to do at least one out there, right? Sure. But there are certainly some that take it as an ambitious route and they want to make weekly or even bi-weekly trips to the valley to pick up hops directly from farms. And I'm certainly envious of that. I know what we'd be doing if we were located out that way. But no, yeah, you are right. It's definitely, this is ambitious for anybody. Right, right. Well, maybe before we get too deep into it, Tony, you could just tell some of the listeners who might not be based here in central Ohio a brief thumbnail of Columbus Brewing Company and your own background getting into brewing. Sure, absolutely. So uh, Columbus Brewing Company, located in Columbus, Ohio, originally founded in 1988. Just by a couple of months, Great Lakes got us. Otherwise, I think we'd technically be the oldest craft brewery in Ohio. So the brewery does date back some years. In the mid-90s, it moved into a about a 6,000-square-foot warehouse facility behind a restaurant where they started some production and were able to package some beer for distribution. Eric came in and was able to take over a partial ownership of the brewery itself, I believe, in 2003. Okay. And then he and his wife, Beth, were able to purchase the remainder of the brewery in 2011. Ever since Eric took over the operation side and you know the production side of the brewery, you know there were efforts put forth towards growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I joined them in December of 2009. So we've been able to kind of grow slowly and steadily since then. We've started seeking out a new production facility 2013. We kind of saw it coming. We were really getting tight in that small warehouse space and had to look for a new facility. So in September of 2014, they closed on this space that we're in here now. This is actually an old beer distributor's building. They actually used to sell our beer here. Yeah, Hill Distributing. Yeah, Hill Distributing. They definitely did very, very well selling a lot of import brands throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s. I believe their operation went back to the 30s. Fortunately, we were able to get a hold of this building. It was perfect to put beer out the door. So it's somewhere about 50,000 square feet all in. So it's a nice size facility for us to continue to grow. We started production in January of 2016 in this facility. That included a new packaging line. It included package redesign, brand new brew house. We have a four-vessel Braucon 30-barrel brew house, and then we have a Braucon pilot system. It's a 10 hectoliter, so technically eight and a half barrels. We found ways to be able to knock out a little bit more on those small batch beers. So it's nice to be able to have some of these things that were not previously available to us. It just certainly gives us the opportunity to brew beers like we're going to talk about today. Oh, yeah. And some of the sexiest tile, I think, too, in the cellar. Yeah, man. I, I tell you what, it is definitely worth it. If you're fortunate to be able to invest into that German brewer's tile, it's such a phenomenal investment into your cellar, and it should last decades upon decades. Well, we've got some beers in front of us yeah, here already, right? 
why don't you tell us about this first beer that we're going to start with? Sure. What kind of led us to this point was just being able to brew as many of these wet hop brews as we wanted to. We wanted to kind of up the ante each year. So we're doing 10. So it gave us the opportunity to kind of stretch a little bit, maybe mix in something besides just your standard yellow IPAs, right? So this first beer we're trying is actually a wet hopped version of our Pilsner. We make a wonderful Pilsner, it's mostly German Tetanang and Saphir hops, which we love dearly. But we saw an opportunity to integrate the American grown. It's sort of an American noble hop, if you will, called Mount Rainier. Okay. There's a farm up in Goodrich, state up north of us. I'll let someone else say that. But uh, <laughs> it's called Top Hops. It's a wonderful family farm. We've gotten to know them very well. We've used their hops a few times. But uh, we actually drove up and got some Mount Rainier hops from them. Drove up and back in the same day. It was a very long day in the car, but well worth it. But yeah, so Mount Rainier hops and a big hop back on this beer. We adjusted the IBUs on our recipe to kind of account for some of that pickup on okay. the hot side. So we basically just trimmed some IBUs off on the front to account for what we anticipated to pick up on the back. How good of an idea do you know what the IBU contribution is going to be from these wet hops? Because they haven't been through all the analysis, yeah, exactly. right? We have a general idea. Over okay. a few years of doing these, and I mean, we really just kind of use some basic logic, frankly. Like, look, here's an IPA with X IBUs. We picked up this. Yeah. So here we have this Pilsner, obviously, lower gravity, lower BU. Let's maybe account for just a little bit more of utilization with that hop back just to kind of cover us, make sure we don't overdo it. Because we have not done a wet hot pills before. So it'll be interesting to see what the data tells us on this one. Sure. But we just had some general rough ideas from past IPA brews to tell us what that okay. IBU pickup potential could be. And the, these Mount Rainiers, they're, I mean, obviously these were wet, so we don't have like the final analytics on them, but his Rainiers were upwards of 7% alpha acid in past years. Okay. Now you're talking about a wet hop, so the alpha is a little bit different from a concentration standpoint. We are big fans of Pilsners, and we're a big fan of the CBC Pilsner. And in fact, if anybody's really into Pilsners, you can go back to our last episode, the great Pilsner taste-off, which was a lot of fun. But this is a really nice beer. Yeah, yeah super I fresh, I too. think it's unique. Yeah, I mean, so just full disclosure for everyone listening, I actually pulled a sample off the fermenter, so we're drinking... Not fully carbonated. There's a little bit of gas, but not fully carbonated. Definitely Keller pills. So it's still got a little haze to it, even though it's been sitting at zero C for several weeks. So this is just off the fermenter. I get a little bit of like a lemongrass. Like a, there's definitely like a fresh hop aroma, but it's very much leans like lemon, like lemongrass. I would agree with that. Yeah. Real citrus. Yeah. Very citrus forward. The hops themselves, I thought, smelled great. It was very pleasant, which, you know, you never know really what you're going to get when you're, you're having mm -hmm. wet hops overnighted or whether you're just driving up and picking them up. You don't really know what you're going to get until you get into it and brew with them and have a finished beer. But I can say that the hops smelled really pleasant the day of driving back four hours in the car and even the, the aromas lingering in my personal vehicle for <laughs> yeah. several days. Uh, it was a very pleasant aromatic. It was like delicately citrusy, nothing you know, overwhelming, off-putting and grassy or anything like that. They were very pleasant. So I was really optimistic about what we were going to get. And I'm glad we landed where we did here. I can't help but be taken back to a memory that Mark and I experienced separately, which is when you go down into the lagering caves at Pilsner or Kell and you get the beer that's straight off out of the wooden barrel. I mean, of course, this is going to taste a little bit differently, but somehow it's reminiscent of that experience yeah. to me. Well, I'm sure the hop load, too, and the wet hops are contributing to the yeah. polyphenol haze. Mm -hmm. We'll clean this up, obviously, next week. It's due to transfer next week. So we'll clean it up, and it'll be a nice sparkly product, fully gassed and everything by the time it hits the taps. But we're fortunate to be able to just to drink it right off the tank at the moment. Oh, yeah. It's lovely this way. Now, when do you anticipate that this would be available for the general public? It is scheduled to go on draft in our tap room on Tuesday, October 4th. 
we'll put it on the taps and hopefully have it for, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how thirsty everybody yeah. is. I got a feeling our staff might do more damage to this beer <laughs> than the public. But yeah, hopefully we'll have it for at least a good five, six weeks. This is a collaboration. It is. It is. It's exciting, man. Again, like we're doing 10 of these, so we've got some room to play, and we've wanted to do this for a while. We have some friends over at Combustion Brewery, primarily located in Pickerington, Ohio, which is sort of a burb southeast of Columbus. They've also recently opened up a separate brewery and tap room in Clintonville, which is a North Columbus neighborhood. Their owner, Keith Jackson, he and his wife, Sarah, we've known them forever. Keith actually used to work for Columbus Brewing Company. And their head brewer, Grant Anklam, also used to work for CBC. I believe he left in 2017 okay. to go brew at Combustion. So two very old friends, and we know some other folks on their staff. We just thought they'd be a great fit to join us for one of these wet hot brews. We talked about the opportunity to do something a little different, right? So a red IPA, I guess before we even get into the hops, when we talked about a red IPA, we still wanted it to drink like an IPA. You know, as much as I love red ales, I love really hoppy American red ales. But the layering of crystal malt can get in the way of hops. And I think since we were doing a wet hop brew, we wanted to kind of approach this a little differently where we're getting some of that color where it's leaning that red IPA, but it's not heavy. The body, it still drinks very much like an IPA. That said, though, it does make it stick to your tongue just in a slightly different way than maybe the Pilsner yep. does, which is absolutely really nice. Absolutely. This is actually another hop from that same farm up north of us from Top Hops. This is their Chinook. And the Chinook that are grown up there are really unique and differ from those grown in the Pacific Northwest. In my opinion, lean fruitier, maybe even as far as being tropical. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the Pacific Northwest grown Chinook. So we're excited about that. Had used them before and wanted to bring them back for another wet hop brew. But in the nature of it being a collab, we wanted to kind of mix it up a little bit and we added some other hops to the mix uh, especially in the kettle and the, and the dry hop um the dry hop features some pacific northwest chinook but then also some cashmere hops and then a very very little bit which is going to be shocking especially after we smell this and talk about it but a very little bit of talus which was uh formerly hbc 692 uh, it's a hop that recently went commercial got the name it is known for having a very floral and grapefruit aromatic and to me, that's really cutting through on this beer. I, the first aromas I get are, are floral and pine and then citrus, kind of in that order. I think that's there's some un underlying tropical notes, but I get a lot more floral and pine right off the rip. Yeah, it's got a classic yes. Northwest Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think I'm kind of relieved in that way because I, I don't know if I necessarily want an overly fruity red beer. You yeah, know, I yeah, like yeah. those really mm -hmm. classic aromatics. No, this is a very drinkable beer. I mean, we're going to get into all kinds of fruit bombs and just, you know, the different uh, intense aromatics that you're getting from a lot of the newer hops nowadays. So it's kind of neat for me to have something that reminds me of a very classically made IPA. I'm a classic guy. You're, I mean, you I can are. Appreciate you're classy. It. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we did an all Chinook one year and I drove up to uh, Michigan Hop Alliance, you know, up past Traverse City mm -hmm. with one of our brewers, Chris. I think Michigan-grown Chinook are just amazing. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. We've actually had used, I would say, 2019 and 2021, because we skipped, obviously, 2020 for very obvious reasons. But we've used previously some cashmere grown up there. Okay. And those are very, very different from what you see in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Pacific Northwest cashmere, I, you certainly get, like, the stone fruit, and I get some cannabis notes. The stuff-grown stayed up north there it's bursting with really like overripe tropical fruit really ripe stone fruit like it's just an intensely fruity version 
of what you see in the Northwest. So yeah, it's awesome. just fascinating how terroir can change and obviously the climate. I've always wondered exactly what it is that makes, you know, those Michigan grown hops taste uh, different than the Pacific Northwest or for that matter, Ohio grown hops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's the sand dunes. There you got, I mean, you got the, they've got that sandy <laughs> soil, so it drains soil? well. I don't know, sure. but it's very different yeah. actually than the Pacific Northwest. You got to think maybe hours of daylight is a pretty important thing for a hop growing hops. I mean, if you think about the classic hop grown regions of the world, well, I'll tell you, they're all north of Ohio. Yeah. Uh, when you look at it on a map. And I think Michigan is not far different from Yakima or, uh, or for that matter, from the Hallertown. It's that it, 45th parallel. So yeah, it's right. a sweet right. spot. It's got to be north of the 45th parallel. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I mean, we'll hopefully touch on this a little, a little bit later, too. But another big thing for us, the we, reason we keep going back is just the relationships. You know, you forge a relationship with a small family farm. It's a father and son operation. And they obviously have others that help, too. But, you know to get to know folks. And then it definitely encourages you to repeat that visit and repeat the business. And and they're growing a quality product. We've mm-hmm. been we've been very happy yeah. with what we've gotten from them. This is Top Hops, is that yeah, right? Yeah, Top Hops. Where in Michigan is it located? Yeah, so they're in Goodrich, about an hour north of Ann Arbor. I guess it would be geographically like southeast of Flint. They don't use that Flint water to water the hops, though. <laughs> no, I think they're good. They're good. They're, yeah. yeah, they're they're definitely on the farmland <laughs> down there. You brought both of these back on the same trip, I'm assuming. Uh, No, no, actually. No, we actually had two separate trips. So I went up uh, the first time for the Mount Rainier, which were a much earlier harvest, drove back and forth on the same day. And then for the Chinook, actually, a couple of our brewers went up. They actually went up the night before, camped out on the farm, pitched a tent, which they love doing. They get to barbecue and hang out and uh, share some beverages. And then they get up early the next morning, load up and come straight back. And what quantity of hops for these beers were you bringing back? How many pounds? Yeah, of hops? so it, it kind of depends. Ballpark. Um, anyway. Yeah, we're in that ten to fifteen pounds per barrel range. Okay. And what about the logistics of planning the brew schedule around yeah. uh, these beers? <laughs> How far in advance do you know when it's going to be the right time to harvest? Fortunately, we know a little bit about harvest windows for certain hops. Just doing this enough years, you you have a little bit of that insight, and then it's just communication. It's constant communication with the various vendors, brokers, growers, whomever we're purchasing from to be in, you know, constant communication with them. So we're able to dial in that forecast. Like, okay. hey, look, we think it's going to be somewhere in this range. As you get closer, it's just following up every week. Okay. You still think it's going to be here? Hey, what if we did this? And yeah, it is a logistical challenge for us, but it's just planning like anything else. Like we know, hey, typically, they're harvesting Chinook right around that first couple days of September. That's that's usually his window up there. Okay. Now, that's far different from the Pacific Northwest and sure. the Yakima Valley. But as far as up there, that's their window. The Ohio farmers are harvesting even earlier than that. Third week of July, they're seeing maturity in certain varieties. I will say that the harvest windows do factor in a little bit to what we choose to brew with and what, you know when, because we obviously can't have everything that's an early pick or you can't have everything that's a, a mid-harvest pick all showing up at the same time. There's no way we'd be able to do 10 different beers. Unfortunately, we have to be patient and wait for certain beers to be ready. We won't be tapping our last wet hot brews until the second week of October. But we get spoiled with a couple of new beers each week. You know, we just have to be patient. Good things come to those who wait. Absolutely. As it relates to some of these production issues, you know, you're the largest microbrewery in Columbus, Ohio. The only brewery bigger than you 
is, of course, Budweiser, which uh, we're not going to take that into consideration. I don't think they're brewing with any wet hops. Exactly. <laughs> Although they might be. They might have some phenomenal uh, program that we don't know anything about. It's just purely R&D. It's, it's yeah, I doubt it's going on in Columbus, Ohio, though. Probably not. All that said, though, you've got a lot of customers waiting for certain beers production-wise. So you got to work them into production. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you do so many, and of course, Yakima Fresh that goes out to distribution, you've got a lot of spinning plates there. We're able to hold fermentation vessels, obviously, to plan for, hey, look, we know that we're going to put this beer in this fermenter around this time. And then, yes, we do have some flexibility there. But where the challenges really come into play is when we're trying to squeeze it into the mash schedule and the actual brew house, because we run 24 hours. We start early Monday morning, 5 a.m. we mash in, and the brew house runs 24 hours until we're done, usually on Thursday evening. So it's where does it slide in and where does it create issues? Where does it not create issues? Kind of our hands are forced based on the delivery of certain hops, right? So that's another factor. It can kind of throw some wrenches in production. So we owe a great debt of gratitude to our production staff that they're very willing to roll with the punches in order to net the result that we get, right? And we get these wet hop brews out of it, but it's definitely not without some pains. Even these pilot brews, sometimes we'll use the production louder ton to louder because the grist might exceed based on gravity, it may exceed what that pilot brew house can handle. We'll very frequently louder from the production louder ton into the pilot kettle. Does that yeah, make sense? Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So all of these need factored into that bigger picture of that week's brews. Yeah, no, I think that's great information. A lot of our listeners are most likely home brewers as well. You know, this isn't just hanging out with your buddies, staying around five-gallon pot all day and having some lunch. This is an efficient machine, and to work these in is kind of a big deal sometimes. It, it is. It is. And I mean, I, I appreciate that, the efficient machine part. We try as much as we can to keep it an efficient machine. All that being said, everyone still comes running the first time we bust out the wet hops, and it's time for that first hop back of the year, the excitement around it. Everyone oh, wants yeah. to smell it. As soon as the hot wort hits those hops... The smell permeates the warehouse. I mean, that's still exciting, even though it's, hey, we've got to fit this in the middle of everything else. It still doesn't stop. Actually, we just brewed our last brew uh, yesterday, the Idaho 7 brew. Okay, Um, And and that was the aroma coming off that was arguably the best one we've had all year. And that's exciting. You're like, hey, look, we're 10 brews into this already, and we still get get jazzed about it. That's awesome. Pat, being from Idaho, I know that's your number one hop out there. I'm a big fan, yeah, as an Idaho native. (laughs) Uh, I did have a question about process, and it's kind of a homebrewing question a little bit. I would guess that you're not bittering with the wet hops. Is that correct? Or that is you? correct. So admittedly, uh, we use our pilot louder ton as just a big hop back. Okay. And yep. so what we'll do is we'll go through our boil and whirlpool and then go into the hop back and then go and knock out. Okay. So we're okay. doing a post whirlpool edition. Uh, how long is that last? That's a great question. Yeah, I, That's such a great question. <laughs> 45 minutes to an hour probably okay. of okay. total contact time. In terms of like when you're, you start filling with wort we're in there with the mash paddle you know you've got to get in there and stir and get everything integrated we'll occasionally use the paddles inside the ton to get a mix but you really want to be kind of gentle with them sure but yeah get everything fully saturated get it all filled up and then slowly start knocking out it does take some time so yeah you could be upwards of 45 minutes probably and then do you ever dry hop with wet hops some people do some people don't yeah absolutely and that's that's a good point we have before It is not part of our current process, and I won't say that we won't do it ever again, but there are some concerns that we have just about the enzymatic properties of the wet hops and what that brings to the table. 
what that does to the tank residency time. I mean, it could take the better part of a month to get a beer finished okay. at that point, if you're, that's what we're talking about. Maybe talking about hop creep and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're talking about, yeah, the enzymes present. You're talking about an unkilned hop, mm-hmm. the enzymes present and what that can do by sparking that secondary fermentation that yeah. you could get that hop creep. And now you're trying to clear up VDK and yeah. we have our own processes with temperature and contact time when we dry hop anyway to help mitigate that. But that definitely is a factor that we would have to address. Using them on the hot side as a big hot back has been our most seamless uh, method to I introduce. Mean, but I, I have folks that I absolutely love and respect in the Northwest that I know what they do. I mean, I know some guys, though, they'll use liquid nitrogen on the wet hops, mash them up to create like a big fluffy powder and put them in sacks and dry hop just like that. Okay. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Well, I got to say, without dry hopping, both of these beers are not calling for more hops well a lot of them do get an additional dry hop but not dry okay. hopping with the wet hops yeah. okay so we, you're using we a can add absolutely we'll add a, a traditional t90 pellet okay. or i mean there's a, a whole nother topic that i don't know if now's the time to get into it or not but there's advancements in hop technology that some, you know some folks are doing and taking a a fresh whole cone hot cone mm-hmm doing a flash freeze on it and then further taking that and making a cryo pellet out of it that is intended for dry hopping. So that's something that we've been experimenting with as well as a brewery. And I think that'll be the next big thing you see out of the Yakima Valley. Oh, cool. I mean, that's a great segue for our next beer. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So we're moving on to a very evil beer. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not so evil, but. If we do it right, it is. <laughs> yeah, so this next one's called uh, Wet Hop Devil's Kush. So the Devil's Kush is just a small batch IPA recipe that we brewed in, uh, let's call it late winter this year of 2022. It was definitely a taproom and staff favorite. It was a blend of like Strata, Chinook, Simcoe, Mosaic, and a little bit of Idaho 7 as well. So it was definitely kind of like an all-star heavy hitter IPA for us. And it was just a fun small batch recipe we all loved. So I'm like, man, oh man, what if we did a wet hop? Let's identify a couple of hops that we have access to that we could, you know, introduce some wet hop to this beer as a concept and do a wet hop version of it. So wet hop devil's kush. What we have here is fresh strata overnighted from Crosby Hop Farms. Uh, Crosby, their hop farms are located about 30 minutes south of Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. So we're getting those hops overnighted from Oregon. And then we also had some whole cone mosaic that were the IQF, individually quick frozen. The Yakima Chief did. So we had some extra of those around. We added those to the hop back as well. So we've got strata and mosaic. And then we're able to hit it again with a dry hop that included some of those uh, above mentioned hops as well. Oh, yeah, it's nice. And you say the ABV on this comes in at 6.66. 6.66. Pretty evil, Pat. Yep. Reminiscing, I've seen Slayer as much as Steely Dan, <laughs> and I think about a baker's dozen on each. So going through <laughs> some old stuff, I found out I went to a Slayer show twice in one week. Hit here and Dayton. That's I was fantastic. at the Newport and realized, hey, I could see them again in four days. That's a pro move. Jump in the car. This is really nice. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, Strata is quickly becoming, uh, you know, a very, very popular hop for IPA lovers and brewers alike. I know a lot of folks that are brewing Strata wet hop brews this year, especially those that are in close proximity mm-hmm. to those farms growing it up there. So it was a no brainer. We were going to yeah. bring that in. Uh, and yeah, very happy with how it turned out. It's definitely, uh, Strata. It has some tropical fruit components, but it's also very punchy, very dank cannabis forward the mosaic is bringing that as well so you know we have a pretty cannabis aroma forward beer 
I actually lived in the Willamette Valley for five years. So when I went to graduate school at Oregon State, and actually I think Oregon State University had a role in developing this hop. This they did. They isn't did. that right? Yep. With the indie hops? I Correct. Think. Yeah. 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 Did you go to the Willamette Valley and how did you pick the hops that went into this beer? Or so we just did they placed make- the order okay. through Crosby. Got it. We did not physically select these hops to go into this beer, but we have visited the farm in the past. Okay. As a matter of fact, we were just there last year mm-hmm. spending some time with them and checking them out. So Strata's harvested very early. So unless we went prior to the harvest season really starting, we wouldn't be able to even see those Strata hanging on the vines. Strata's harvested the last couple of days of August, the first of September, and it's out. Okay. Yeah. Now, for our listeners that don't know a ton about the cryo process mm. and this individual quick Definitely. frozen IQF, <laughs> yeah. tell a little bit more about that. Like, it's kind of hard. A little yeah, it is kind of hard to write. So we were so accustomed to just the urgency around using wet hops. You know, we're talking about having hops overnighted, flown. <laughs> Um, yeah. because of where we're located, you know, we really need spending a lot of money to get those hops in good condition. When hops are picked, they're loaded with water. So, you know, normally the hops are picked and then they get kiln to reduce that water content. They get cooled down, pressed into bales, and then, you know, they could be processed further from there, pelletized and such. Well, with the wet hops, because there's so much water, they do degrade very quickly. That's why that urgency is in place is, look, we need to use these ASAP. Well, Yakima Chief started working with flash freezing the whole cone hop, and it's the same process. They've been doing it with, you know, the fresh fruits and vegetables that you're already buying in the grocery store. It's the exact same process. And we're actually fortunate enough to visit the facility that they were using at Wickoff Farms out in the Yakima Valley, where they're bringing in these fresh cones and they're running them through the flash freezing process. And it was stunning to see these whole cone hops come out on the other side, frozen, but still looking exactly as they did as they, when they came off the binds. And then obviously storing them properly, they need to be stored below 14 Fahrenheit. So that's really cold. So yeah. if, you, if you can store them properly, they'll keep. So we were able to brew with them last fall, and then we actually ordered more to be able to play with over the course of the year, and the hops continue to hold up marvelously. That's awesome. Right? Like, hop harvest is a special time of year, and being able to preserve that and to take advantage of that in February, say, or in June is kind of crazy. And they're now pushing it even further to try to evolve it into a cryo pellet to get a concentrated version, removing some of the unnecessary vegetal material to really get a concentrated version of that fresh hop. So that's more to look forward to. Now, it's still nice to be able to know that the hops are being picked and you're using them right as they're coming off the field or the next day, you know, and if they're overnighted. But it's also nice to take advantage of technology and just the advancements that they're able to make. So we're we're spoiled in that regard. For sure. And cryo hop being available, it has been for a few years now. Mm -hmm. It's changed the game a lot on IPAs, really. I agree. I agree. We use it when we can. It's certainly impactful. And, you know, to apply that same technology, though, now to a fresh hop is... Like, holy smokes, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna... cool. I like the image of it's flash frozen blueberries. Yeah. It just paints a picture. Yeah, absolutely. It's the exact same process. And and what a lot of people don't realize, these hop farms, they are growing lots of fruit. They're growing wine grapes. Like, I mean, yeah. you name it, they're growing a lot of different things. So this is not a foreign concept. And to be able to apply that technology to hops, it's like, oh, wow, this is kind of neat. That's cool. It's been there all along. Absolutely, yeah. Every once in a while, I get to interject a little science into the show. So first interesting thing I learned is this whole process, the way it was discovered is there was a biologist and he was ice fishing 
And then, you know, when he would catch the fish, he would, you know, throw them aside there on the ice. And then he took them home and turned out some of the fish were still alive because basically they had just been frozen and, and they came back to life. And so he's like, oh, maybe I'm onto something. And then the question is, from a science point of view, what's the difference between freezing them really fast or freezing them slowly? Actually touches on research that we do in my lab. We do a lot of things where we try and grow crystals. And when you want to grow crystals, what you do is you cool very, very slowly. And that gives the crystal time to grow and you don't form a lot of other crystals. But when you're doing this, you're doing the exact opposite. You want to keep the crystals from growing large so you, you cool fast. Because when they grow large, they rupture the cell membranes and they basically they change the internal structure of the pop or the blueberry or the fish. Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole point of cooling fast. And I suppose that's also why you have to keep them so cold that there's not enough motion that the crystals can start to grow. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is kind of interesting to think about though. The yeah, convergence you, of these technologies. It shows you how my mind works. The way he's talking about like slowly cooling, I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, kind of like the large ice cubes for your cocktails. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. My whole time is I'm thinking of Austin Powers being fried gently fluorescent. And I'm like, well, I hope they don't take his mojo. They would have to freeze him fast. If you are ever <laughs> in a situation where you're about to be frozen, go for the fastest Do it possible. Fast. Okay. Yeah. Lesson learned. Love it. We'll wake you up. You'll be bright and dewy fresh. <laughs> Hopefully so with mojo. Yep. So next, I think we're going to move on to what I think would maybe be fair to call the flagship fresh hop or wet hop beer, at least the one that has the longest history. Yeah, I think it has to be, and especially in terms of volume produced and uh, number of years produced. Uh, Yakima Fresh. So Yakima Fresh is our production wet hop IPA. We've grown the volume slowly over the years. Mm -hmm. This one has, for several years, heavily featured the mosaic hop. Okay. So it's definitely a, a love story to Mosaic. And, it shows and every, too. Yeah, it's, it's unapologetically Mosaic. Yeah. Uh, yep. You get a little of that kind of sweet onion, a little bit of that tropical note. Definitely, again, the cannabis note that, you, you know, expected from the Fresh Hop and the Mosaic. Yeah. Definitely one that we all look forward to. And It's got uh, that pleasant overripe thing, too. Like, as soon as I uncovered it, I got that, whoo, this is really ripe. That's awesome. Yeah, this was actually what we're drinking here was just packaged yesterday. So cool. (laughs) That's fresh. That is fresh. I would say it doesn't get much fresher than that. Then we've already had something, you know, off the right tank, right? So it's true. Yeah. yeah. What is the size of the batch you make of the Yakima Fresh? And how much has that changed over the years? I would say it's probably three times what it was. Yeah, we're we're producing 180 barrels uh, of, of Yakima Fresh. What volume or what? mass of hops is needed to do that then. oh yeah no we're we're talking about <laughs> well, truckloads that's you, a you different, were just say 10 to 15 yeah pounds that's per a barrel. whole different yeah, that's yeah. a whole different conversation compared to the pilot and i mean in terms of hey yeah we yeah, can yeah. order a few boxes or a couple hundred yeah. pounds or whatever this is you're you're talking about thousands at that point and and truckloads but how did these arrive do these come in a semi-truck at least the last couple of years, we've brewed these with those iqf mosaic through yakima chief and yeah they're just showing up there's 10 pounds per box and I think 300 pounds per pallet and we're getting a truckload filled with those pallets. So it's a significant volume and we have some uh, cold storage out back that we're able to keep that volume of hops that cold. So we have a reefer out back okay, cool. just okay. for that use because otherwise you'd have to use them as soon as they show up, right? But if we go back in the days before IQF hops, then 
you're you're not putting these on an airplane, right? You're- no, no. So that was that was honestly why it was such a, kind of a blessing, at least from this scale, right? Because previously we'd have to have them trucked across across the country. You know, you're have they're being loaded onto a truck the day they're picked, and they start driving. Well, you know, commercial drivers can only drive so many hours a day before they have to stop. So they would actually do chain driving, basically a hand off the trailer consecutively in order to get here as quickly as possible but even that presented challenges and you're constantly just kind of waiting for you know word of when they're going to show up so you could be ready to start brewing unfortunately you can't start brewing before they show up because you can definitely get caught yeah you know if something were to happen uh, you've got a batch of beer that doesn't have the wet hop in it so you know we need to be cognizant of that but that's why the the iqf certainly changed the stress level of producing a beer like right. this being this far away. And that's why I'm envious of those folks in Seattle or Portland. Their logistics are a little different than what we face here in the Midwest. So, yeah, I mean, I've done a drive to the West Coast before. And, you know, even if you just drive straight through probably 36 hours or more, 40 hours, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's obviously like the, the potential sort of degradation that sure. can happen. Now that we're talking about a refrigerated truck. Right. But still, you're still talking 48 plus hours after they, these hops have been picked, maybe even 72 by the time they're actually yeah. in the brew. So mm-hmm. it does pose those challenges. Again, that's why I'm a fan of the technology being implemented. And if it's better for the hop, then we're all in. Sure. If it gives us a better product, we're all for it. So we've sampled four different beers so far. I'm not saying that we're necessarily done. But the tap room's opening up and there's people coming in. So, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other ones we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, certainly. Uh, So something we should definitely talk about is the use of Ohio grown hops. We partnered with a hop farm about about 40 minutes west of our brewery here in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. It's called Zachrich Hop Yard. Really nice people. Wonderful, uh, wonderful people. Wife, uh, yep. run that, and they're great. Nick great and folks. Mallory are fantastic. They've got a nice setup over there. I believe they're growing about a half dozen different varieties. And this um, one is with Zeus? This is, is that- with Zeus. Yeah, okay. and it was intentional. We wanted to do something really, really different from what anyone else was doing and really different from anything that we were already planning on brewing. We brewed a rather low-gravity IPA. This thing came out at 6.2% alcohol. But what's also unique about it is not only are we using Ohio-grown hops, but we also chose to use Ohio-grown malt. From Origin Malt. I had this beer on the weekend. I brought my bicycle out here, and it's a really nice balance, very uh, pleasant beer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Zeus is maybe not predominantly known as an aroma variety, but I do think that it can contribute some nice aromatics. It's citrusy, a lot of like grapefruit pith, absolutely some raw hop aromatic in that beer. And again, just a a very different beer relative to everything else that's going to be on the lineup. Well, if you're doing 10 beers, you don't want them all to just be subtle variations from one to the other. No you doubt. Want di- and it's a different experience. Yep. Yeah. You know, another early one that we had is called Soaked in Simcoe. That one is actually a hazy IPA for those that love the haze. About 7.7, 7.8% ABV. But yeah, using a boatload of the Simcoe hops, really lot, like a lot of orange and stone fruit and we're just really fruit forward aromatics on that one um we did can that so that was a production beer as well smaller volume produced compared to yakima fresh on we're unfortunately sold out of it here in the tap room already but it was a wonderful beer and if anyone had the chance to try that it definitely got some favorable reviews that we've heard i did get a chance to try it also on the weekend and yeah i can attest a really great fruitiness to it yeah beautiful beer yeah we did a small so even though it was a pilot batch we also did some cans of a wet hopped Bodie. 
So Bodhi is our flagship double IPA, fairly well known, at least in our area. And to do a wet hop version of that beer using some Citra and Azaka hops uh, definitely raised some eyebrows. And needless to say, that didn't last very long either. <laughs> it displayed all the characteristics of Bodhi, but just kind of turned up a couple notches that's yeah. cool. A lot of Bodie fans. Absolutely. Out there. So, a lot of Bodie uh, fans. That's awesome. Our friend uh, Bill Keppen, who was also on the show back in January, he sent some messages out. He was definitely a very big fan. He said yeah. it is a wonderful, wonderful beer. Yeah, I was able to snag a couple of stray cans. I have one left in my <laughs> fridge at home, but. <laughs> Ain't getting any fresher. No, nope, no. Nope. You know, a couple of the latter brews that, you know, are not uh, still in fermentation and we're not going to have a chance to try uh, today. But we did another hazy IPA with some Eldorado hops. Okay. Um, Eldorado is a beautiful hop. Lots of candy-like aromatics, stone fruit. I mean, it kind of just depends on when the hop is harvested. Its harvest window can yield some very different results with that hop. We deferred to the grower and trusted them to tell us, like, hey, look, you tell us what the ideal picking window is for that Hallmark character. So we had hops shipped directly to us from the farm, CLS Farms, Moxie, Washington. Okay. Wonderful family-run farm. I believe they're five generations deep at this point. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, over 100 years of growing hops in the valley. They actually created El Dorado. That's a proprietary hop for them. They're also responsible for like Zappa and Medusa. And You're getting it direct I, from the source. We're I mean, getting it direct from the source. From yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's nowhere better. Uh, I'm sure they're used to accommodating folks that are driving an hour or two hours away, yeah. but to put stuff and ship it across the country for us, we're very grateful and grateful for that friendship and relationship with the Demeray family. We haven't talked a ton about hop selection. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience. And also, yeah. when you're selecting hops, do you look for something different in a wet hop than you would for lots you're selecting that might be pelletized and used in a conventional manner? Yeah. So, well, let's just talk about just selection in general. So, uh, we try to, in most cases, make two trips out to the Yakima Valley, Pacific Northwest, whatever you want to call it, at least two per harvest season. And for us, that's related to when the varieties are harvested and making sure that we can get a good offering a good selection of some of those earlier harvested hops. But obviously, if we just went out earlier, we wouldn't have access to select some of the later variety hops. So then we make sure to follow up later in harvest or even right after harvest. I'm actually on a plane next Monday to go back out to finish up selections. But what that means is, so we will actually visit with our vendors and they will put a sampling of lots in front of us and we'll do a blind selection. We may have a certain quantity, like an X quantity of this hop, and say, hey, look, we've evaluated these samples. We're rubbing, we're smelling, we're, you know, visually looking at hops. And we'll say, hey, look, we prefer this lot because this meets our needs from a sensory standpoint. It's what we're looking for out of Simcoe. It's true to type. True to type is certainly important. I would say true to our type is probably more important to make sure that we're at least pursuing the same characteristics out of Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, Centennial, et cetera. But to get the best version that you possibly can or that's the closest to what you want that hop to be. And again, it's done blind. We don't really know which farm, but it is fascinating because we will year over year select a lot of the same farms for certain hops just inadvertently. You're probably not coincidentally. Yeah, either. I'm sure there's, I mean, there's, some, there's something to that. It is amazing. And I know, Pat, as a home brewer, you select your hops. You look at, oh, I want this flavor profile, this aroma. You go to the homebrew store or order online. You get what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it is amazing how different one variety of hop can be doing selection. It's rare that there is something that I would say is of low quality, right? That is rare. But if you're going to have 10 samples put in front of you, 
there may be one that stands out as being exactly what you want it to be, and you're going to have a preference. Yeah, it um, varies a lot. You can, absolutely, especially if you're going side by side. You know, the last couple of years, we have to be aware of some smoke taint just because of the wildfires. Um, I haven't seen it anywhere near as much so far in 2022, but there were certainly examples of that in 2020 and 2021. Everyone's weary of that, right? Like the, you know, the growers are obviously concerned about it. The brokers don't want to put that in front of people. You know, we're looking for red flags more than anything. Mm -hmm. And then, and then obviously trying to select the best version of that hop. And especially because we know what that hop is going to go into. You know, we have hops contracted because they're programmed into production beers that we know we're going to make X amount of barrels of year-round. Columbus IPA has these hops in it. Bodie right, has right. these hops. So we're thinking of those beers when we're you know evaluating each hop. In the vein of uh, making <laughs> lemonade from lemons, has anybody ever thought about a wet hop rauk beer? You know what's funny is I actually just sampled our smoked lager. We're transferring it tomorrow, so we had a pre-transfer panel. I just tasted that before we started this yeah. conversation. Um, no, don't want to add any hops to that, but, but I am very much looking forward to drinking some okay. smoked lager yeah, that, here uh, sounds, in the near future. That sounds delicious. I did have a, a more serious question, yep. though. When you're doing the hop selection, do you ever sometimes encounter a hop and you're like, man, that is amazing, but that doesn't really fit the profile of what the we're time. making. And might a hop like that be a good one for a wet hop sometimes? Because, you know, people don't come back with the same expectations. It's going to be exactly the same from year to year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, Pat. I have so many stories of, <laughs> uh, you know, just being blown away by something. I remember years ago, the very first time we smelled Idaho 7, we were walking through and just with one of our brokers is like, oh, you got to check this out. We literally just poked a hole in the bale, pulled out some dried cones and are rubbing them. And I'm standing there in a closed down roadway in downtown Yakima standing over this bale. And I got Eric on the phone. I'm like, Eric, you won't believe this. We got to get some of this hop. And Eric's like, well, you know, ask him how much we can have. <laughs> Broker's like, well, how much do you want? I'm like, well, I don't know. How much can we have? We'll okay. take it. You know, lean, sign us up for a certain volume. You got to be careful because you can definitely get too excited and start signing contracts for stuff that you don't need. Sure. But here we are today. We love Idaho 7. That's another wet hot brew coming down the pipe that we love the hop. Um, we use Idaho 7 year round in uh, several recipes, but you can definitely get uh, a little starry eyed with, you know, some new things. But Yeah, I could I could see how you could get over enthusiastic because you're like, man, because yeah. you know a lot about making beer is to make something like nobody's ever tasted before is a very exciting proposition. Kind of parallel of that topic, another benefit to traveling out to the Yakima Valley during hop harvest. Again, it's those relationships, but being able to talk with the breeders, the folks that are creating the next big thing and uh, kind of being plugged into that world and knowing like what experimental varieties are on their way and kind of getting a foot in the door early, you know, and yeah. maybe getting your hands on some samples a little earlier than others. And, you know, we've gone as far as to even sponsor some acreage of some experimental varieties to kind of help coax them along. Sure. Sure. Uh, and then they eventually go commercial. And actually, you've got a wet hop beer coming out with an experimental we hop, We do. Right? We do. I would love to try that here with you guys. We I think can, it's we can very, very, finish with that one. I think it would be a very, very fun idea. Yeah. A, a lot of these experimental varieties, there's a lot to be excited about. And we we're fortunate enough to get our hands on one of them to actually brew a wet hop with. All right. So closing it out with the last beer... This is the experimental hop. It is. It is. Yeah. So we're naming this as a HBC 2X IPA. So it's a double IPA. It's brewed with, in total, three different HBC, which is a hop breeding company, 
three of their experimental varieties, one of which we were fortunate enough for them to send us some wet hop so we could do a wet hop edition of an experimental hop, which is... Uh, That's ordinarily unheard Definitely of. not. I would argue that you probably won't see it east of the <laughs> Washington border. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. Probably not, but we are incredibly grateful to uh, John I. Haas. So th- the wet hop that we're talking about is HPC 1019-1019. This is somewhat of a new hop on the radar. Um, it does have the feel of being kind of fast-tracked. Normally, you're looking at upwards of a decade from the time they make the crosses to the time something is scaled up for a commercial release. They have so much positives going for them on this hop. Obviously, the way that it brews and smells and drinks and so forth, but I think the agronomics, like everything is pointing to go. So I think we may see this sooner rather than later as a commercial variety, but really cool hop. We've smelled it for a few years now. It just bursts with aromas of like mango, like tropical mango aromas, maybe some stone fruit. I actually get some peach out of it. I can agree with that. You know, definitely very, very, very fruit forward. You know, we also included some HBC 586, which is one of the varieties that we've actually sponsored acreage in the development of. Now, that one is similarly has to like some stone fruit and, and kind of mango notes, but there's also kind of a cannabis edge to it. And then uh, HBC 630, another one. I Both of those other HBC varieties, I think, still show a lot of promise, and it wouldn't shock me if they end up seeing a, a little larger scale release and getting their own name. But but yeah, so we've got a beautifully fruity beer. I'm excited that even though the only 1019 we had was in the wet hop, so much of that aromatic is still coming through in the final beer. Super fruity too. After you swallow, it's almost like canned peaches type of... I, I mean, I get the, the, the retro nasal is fascinating. Yeah, like yeah. that exhale retro nasal is really fascinating to me. And, and you know, really from a sensory standpoint, the retro nasal impact is interesting on a lot of beers because it sometimes is far different than what you may smell just in first pass. Absolutely. And just, you know, kind of like what that olfactory, that initial processing, so to speak. But that retronasal is like, oh, wow, you get a whole nother layer in there. Now, I really enjoy this. I'm happy with how this turned out. We literally kegged this out this morning. We managed to set aside a small keg for us to sample <laughs> from this afternoon. So darn it. Absolutely. We appreciate it very much. Stone fruit is just over the top on this yeah. one. It's it's a beautiful beer. Yeah. Yeah. And very, it's very a beautiful cool. looking beer. It, it is. There's actually not a lot of different malt in this. It's actually quite lean. Um I don't think it's overly sweet from a you know residual sugar standpoint. But there is a, a touch. Bit of color. There's a touch. Yeah. I think it's just from the sheer volume of malt. I mean, we are talking about an eight point six percent double IPA, so there's substantial volume of, of malt in there. No, that little bit of sweetness really complements the fruitiness, too. Tony, let me ask you a question as someone who uh, grows hops at home. What would you tell people when to harvest? From a home brewer and from a uh, sort of a home grower standpoint, I certainly have no expertise whatsoever. I would just maybe make a recommendation of be aware of when that particular variety should be maturing in your region. That's a good place to start. And then just... Open up samples. You can tear open what looks like a mature hop cone. You can see the lupulin development. Yep. Rub them together and do your own sensory analysis on it. You know, don't don't overthink it. Yeah. If, if, it, if it smells a little green and vegetal and there's still, maybe leave it hanging a little and, and let, let it develop a little bit. But if you open that up and you see all those beautiful, bright, yellow, <laughs> you know, lupulin glands, re-rub them together and it smells like you want it to smell, go. What would you say is the point where you're like, okay, now you're going over the edge? What happens to the hops when they get too ripe? In most cases, you'll see the hops turn pungent, onion, garlic. They can go a little too far. Yeah, yeah. You can look even aesthetically at the hop, too. If you start to see the browning, browning, absolutely. 
this has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, it's a um, lot of fun. I mean, obviously, we we love this so much. I mean, to be able to, to brew IPAs every day, and then on top of that, still think it's a good idea to make 10 different wet hop brews. <laughs> hey, man, if we're fortunate, we'll be able to continue to do even more next year. You know, we'll have a, another retail location open at that point. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have a second brewery and a second tap room. It's be been a long time in the works. It's been a long time in the works, but we are getting closer. So, That's cool. you know. Absolutely. By this time next year, we'll have another facility, another whole other set of draft lines, and hopefully we can make even more and more wet hop brews. So it's exciting. That's awesome. Well, hey, until then, it's always great to stop by the tap room here. Absolutely. It's great to see you. Yeah. And hop fans out there, get your ass down here. Yeah. Please come see us. For those of you that have been here, you know where it is. Yeah. For those of you who haven't, you got Google. You know, for those that are local or can make a stop into the tap room, yeah, we're planning on tapping uh, two different wet hot brews each of the next few weeks. So we did two today. We'll have two more next week and the final two the week after that. And then we are trying to put together an event to have all 10 beers pouring at least for one day. Okay, oh, wow. cool. Yeah, we've saved a very small quantity of just about everything here because, you know, it's so yeah, hard when cool. you have hops. Sure. And also the fervor, the anticipation for wet hop season. Those first ones get beat up so hard until reinforcements yeah. come later in harvest. It's like, man, if we could just set aside a keg or two of each one and then we can come together and make sure we have everything on draft at least for one moment in time. So, you know, check out uh, the Columbus Brewing Company yeah. social media channels. I would look somewhere mid-October without making an official announcement sure. yet. And in the meantime, if you stop in, we've got merchandise. They made t-shirts this year, some glassware. And then even if you don't make it out for harvest season, we're always going to try to keep it interesting around here with hop forward beers, small batch brews, hopefully using some of these new advanced hop products we're talking about. There's always something fun going on around here. So It's never a bad idea to make a visit to the CBC Tap Room. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, Tony. This has been fantastic. It's been a really a privilege for us to come out here and get the preview of these beers and Thank you for making these beers. Oh, man. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate the interest in it and giving me a chance to blab on about the beauty of hops. (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. Well, cheers. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers.